Welcome to Views from the Market, Mid-Market Private Equity and M&A in Canada. My name is Mario Negro. I'm a partner in the Private Equity and M&A group at Steichman Elliott. For today's special guest, I'd like to welcome Paul Haman. Paul is a partner and senior managing director of the Corporate Finance Group at Deloitte Canada. Paul is also the head of the Consumer and Foods Industry Practice Group. Paul, thank you for joining us and welcome. Yeah, thanks, Mario. Happy to be here. Paul, I'd like to start uh, talking a little bit about, about you and, and your practice. We're going to spend some time talking about the, the food and beverage space and the, and the M&A practice, particularly during this uh, last uh, year and a half of COVID. But maybe we'll start with a little bit about yourself and, and your group at Deloitte Corporate Finance. Yeah, sure. Thanks, uh, Mario. Um, you know, my, my first job is uh, <laughs> actually being a husband and uh, as you know, a father to two young kids. I have a almost four-year-old and a, and a fresh one-year-old. So um, I'm onto my, I think, third coffee of the day. Um, and if um, <laughs> if you've seen me lately, I always look a little tired. <laughs> you know why? Um, but outside of being a dad, the other half of my job is, as you as you said, uh, mid-market M and A. Um, I spent the last 15 years of my uh, career. Uh, you know, really working with private business owners on, you know, all things M&A related, you know, be it uh, selling their business, raising capital, helping them acquire businesses and so on. I've uh, been with Deloitte for a little while now. Um, and I'm, you know, most people would know Deloitte as, you know, a large global professional services firm. Um, I sit in a group called Deloitte Corporate Finance. And, you know, the best way to think of that is um, it's the mid-market investment banking team um, at Deloitte. And we do, we do one of three things really well, or all three of these things really well. One is advising um, private business owners, oftentimes family businesses on, on succession and, and the sale of their, of their business. Um, we also do a lot of work with these same, same kind of business owners on raising capital, whether that's debt capital, equity capital, or some combination of both, uh, you know, to facilitate liquidity, growth, or so on. And then, you know, occasionally help um, on strategic acquisitions as well. You know, we're a pretty big, uh, you know, I won't spend too much time talking about the group, but, you know, we're a pretty big team across Canada. Um, you know, we're about 75 people across the country and, and we organize ourselves by, by industry. And, you know, as you alluded to at the outset, Mario, I, I, I'm a leader in our corporate finance food and beverage team. So I spend most of my time uh, working on, like I said, M&A transactions related to the food and beverage space. And Paul, I, I'm going to jump in and, and talk about uh, your work in the food and beverage space because it's just been a fascinating time. I, and I expect you're going to tell us a little bit about all the interesting things that have really happened in that space uh, as a result of COVID, as part of the COVID effect, if we want to call it. Because if any space has really uh, been impacted by COVID, um, you know, food and beverage has been one of the key areas. And so from your perspective uh, and what you're seeing on the ground, on my just kind of talking about what what you've seen has changed when you consider the food and beverage space and doing deals and and mandates and and what you've noticed uh, has has come about as a result of COVID in the food and beverage space when it comes to to working with owners who want to sell their business. Yeah, you know, like it's it's funny, right? Like um, if if I rewind to you know March April twenty twenty, I sorry, yeah, March April twenty twenty, at sort of the beginning being days of COVID, I'll tell you, Mario, like if I'm being honest, um, a lot of guys in my role who, you know, do what I do for a living or, 
you know, <laughs> sitting there saying, geez, like maybe it's time to pack it up. It's been a good run in M&A. Maybe we should go do something different for a few <laughs> years because this isn't, this isn't looking so good, right? Um, and look, like, you know, food and beverage and, and all sort of industries for, you know, a few, a few months and sort of through that summer of 2020, things got put on the shelf and, you know, a lot of deals died. A lot of deals were kind of paused indefinitely and nobody really knew what was, uh, what was going on. But, um, you know, the good news is, is sort of after you kind of cleared that spring, summer of 2020 period, you know, things kind of came back. Um, I would, you know, almost, almost back to where they were before. And, you know, the factors that were driving um, M&A pre-COVID never went away. And it was a couple of sort of key things. You know, one, you know, an incredible amount of, you know, quote unquote, dry powder uh, among private equity groups. So, you know, dry powder being, you know, raised and committed funds that are, you know, earmarked for investment in privately owned businesses. You know, that number is astonishing. It's like 2.5 trillion today. And what's more interesting is in the last decade, it's almost doubled. Uh, so there's, you know, twice as much money out there looking for a, for a home. And, you know, there's not twice as many businesses for sale. Um, and, and what, you know, food and beverage was always sort of favored by, you know, private equity and, and, and just, you know, just because of sort of, you know, it being viewed as a safe haven, but what you saw, what, what we started seeing during COVID is as there are fewer and fewer quote unquote quality businesses, you know, available out there because of the effects of COVID and there's still the same amount of capital looking to be deployed. You're actually seeing some very aggressive behavior amongst potential buyers uh, when there is a good business and a quality business for sale. So, you know, that's, you know, it, it's been a driver of, like I said, food and beverage M&A from the beginning, but, um, but uh, you know, it's, it's now actually having a disproportionate impact on the food and beverage space. When you consider the deal flow in the last year, have, have you noticed that there's certain sectors in food and beverage that have really taken off and others that kind of have really, like, have you, do you see winners yeah. and losers? You know what I mean, Paul? Like, have you, yeah, for have sure. You, have you noticed? Yeah, for the... sure. It, it's interesting because even, you know, there's sort of two categories of food and beverages businesses. There's those who have benefited from COVID, maybe three. Those who have benefited from COVID, those who have been sort of, you know, impacted in a neutral way <laughs> and those who have been negatively impacted. And, you know, the obvious examples are like the food service and restaurant sectors, generally speaking, been negatively impacted. But if you peel the onion there, um, you know, there's some sectors like QSR and, you know, and particularly QSR that is more dinner oriented in terms of their offering has actually done well through COVID versus full rest, full service restaurants have, have done poorly, right? And so, um, you know, certainly the, the sectors that have been net beneficiaries or neutrally impacted um, have, you know, have the, the deal flow there has, you know, this is anecdotal, but, you know, has been at, at or above sort of pre-pandemic levels. But what it's doing is it's, it's creating, it's creating, you know, different challenges for getting deals done. You know, so even if you sort of say, okay, well, there's sectors that have been you know, negatively impacted, set those aside. You know, even those that have done been positively impacted, you know, it's still creating deal issues. I mean, before you even get into sort of due diligence and that kind of thing, there's the, as you know, Mario, there's like the softer side of M&A. You know, people meeting face-to-face -face in deals is a very important aspect of a deal. You know, there comes a time where people want to sit down and get, you know, look each other in the eye, have dinner together. And that's been a real challenge. You know, you're trying to replicate that through Zoom calls and Teams meetings with borders that were closed for a good chunk of the last, you know, couple of years. 
it's it's certainly been a challenge and you know we've worked around it and you do your best but sometimes it's you know more difficult for a buyer to get comfortable and or a seller to get comfortable with each other or on particular issues if you can't get them in the same room um but then you know outside of the sort of softer side of things you know then you're always then you're immediately almost having it's created a whole new work stream for for due diligence right it's okay there's you know the financial due diligence legal due diligence then there's the okay what's the COVID impact <laughs> and that could be negative po- impact or positive impact and what everybody's trying to get their head around is what's what's the sustainable sort of level of EBITDA or cash flow going forward and you know it, that could be a discussion around are your results inflated or and because of what's going on in COVID you know if you're a food retailer as you said earlier on are your results being inflated because because people aren't dining out as much and people are cooking home at home more and and so what does that mean to your business once the world goes back to quote unquote normal what is the new normal going to be right uh, the flip side is also true if you're you know a food processing business that you know had a good chunk of their business that was servicing restaurants right um, or food service or institutions or whatever you know, yeah, you had a blip and now the world's sort of reopened, but it's not fully reopened and your results are tracking back to where they were, but are people going to go back to what, you know, to eating out like they used to, or is that, is that whole food service channel going to be, you know, different once the world's back to normal? And so that ends up being honestly, Mario, like 50% of our discussions now on deals. Um, And you'd think it would only be the discussion where, you know, you're trying to convince somebody, no, no, that was a one-time hit to our earnings, but it's just as much a discussion on the other side of things, which is, you know, our results, you know, this is the new normal for our business and this is sustainable. Well, you, you, you hit on it, Paul, what I wanted to ask you, because, you know, what we hear in the food and beverage space has been uh, one of the most challenging and interesting parts of M&A over the last year and a half. And you touched on it already. So I was hoping to spend a little more time on this is the valuations for food businesses, because, Mm -hmm of, you know, in some cases, the spikes up or the spikes down or the sustainability of some of the numbers. And I'm curious what your perspective has been and in, in trying to sell a business where you've, you know, you've seen a spike uh, over the last year or two. And you're trying to obviously sell that for an owner who's kind of saying, well, wait a minute, that's my new normal. But then <laughs> buyer says, I don't, yeah. I don't know how much of a normal yeah. it really is in this way. Well, what is a normal, I guess, anymore. But yeah, um, I'm, totally. I'm, you know, I know you're living with that every day. I would love to kind of get a bit more of of how you're managing that, you know, both yeah. seller expectations and then obviously buyer, you know, what the buyer is looking for in terms of sustainability and in, in, in valuations. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. And it's, there's no one answer, but what, I mean, what I would say is just overall, you know, people talk, when people talk about value, they talk about multiples and I, you know, multiples in general and well, across M&A generally speaking, but in food and beverage in particular have, you know, over the 15 years I've been doing this, I've pretty much been on an upward trend. Um, you know, like it was rare to see double digit EBITDA multiples when I first started doing this, but you raised a really good point. So like the multiples themselves are trending in the right direction and COVID hasn't changed that. But what what the issue is, is what are you multiplying, right? Like are you multiplying, yeah. you know, the, the EBITDA of last year, the 2020 EBITDA, the 2021 EBITDA, or are we all going to make a bunch of assumptions around what the new normal is. And look, the reality is we are still, you know, the U S market is probably further along to, you know, a post COVID world, but they're still not fully out of it. And, and, you know, we look at Canada, we're still living in the pandemic. So there's nothing to point to to say what is normal yet. Um, 
And when we all started doing this, you know, 18 months or two years ago, when, you know, COVID initially kind of hit, we all kind of thought it was going to be this one big, you know, two, three month thing. And it would be super easy to point at and say, hey, look, everybody stocked their pantries for three months. And, but it's now become, you know, that part's easy. It's the, okay, the initial impact of COVID is easy to point to. But now it's a question of our consumers, our consumer behaviors changed permanently um, or partially have they changed permanently? And, and look, the best you can, the best we can do as advisors and our clients is, you know, the inevitable discussion we're going to be having with buyers armed with a bunch of analytics. I mean, the nice thing in this day and age is, um, you know, there is the power of sort of data analytics. And if you have a bunch of, if you have a, a business that has access to a bunch of data and, and consumer behavior and purchasing patterns and so on, it's not perfect, but you can crunch a whole lot of data using, you know, uh, particular tools, which, you know, Deloitte leverages and so on to, to try to put together a story of, okay, this is what happened during COVID. This is what's happening now. And then overlay that with sort of, you know, thought leadership in the broader food market to say, here's what consumer behavior is today. Here's what, you know, the, here's what the smartest people are saying, you know, the ongoing permanent impact of COVID is going to be. And then you try to marry all that together. But look, the reality is you're never going to have a, a definitive answer from either side because nobody has a crystal ball as to what the future is going to look like in the post pandemic world. And what ends up happening is, you know, either you're fortunate enough to negotiate uh, through, you know, some competitive tension and sale process, you know, negotiate the value discrepancy away. <laughs> in other words, you know, like this is, you know, this is what needs to happen to get the deal done. It's either yes or no from the buyer or, you know, alternatively, um, you can structure around it. Um, you know, for a while we we had we weren't seeing earnouts as much as we used to for a while because the M&A markets were so hot. You're definitely seeing more of them now because it's a really elegant way to kind of bridge a you know a gap in value because we don't know what the future is going to look like, right? And you know, as much as you know, I don't know if, if as a lawyer you like earnouts or not. I generally don't like them as a M&A advisor. They just complicate things, but inevitably we're, we're seeing more and more of it on deals because it's the only way to bridge that unknown gap. You mentioned the crystal ball. I got to ask you uh, the crystal ball. Uh, I ask uh, all our guests the <laughs> crystal ball question and, and the food and space is one of the most interesting uh, spaces to explore where we're going. I mean, people don't realize how many companies and businesses there are and technology and new innovations. And when you look at all that, which is great for you because you're in a space that, you know, is, is very dynamic. When you look at where we are with COVID and where the future is going, I wanted to get your sense on, on where you see deal flow going in the food space. Now, obviously, as we continue and hopefully get over COVID, but also in the future, in term, I know one of the things you talked about was multiple inflation. We've seen that. Um, but I was, I was curious to get your sense of where you see a lot of activity uh, happening in the future, whether it's because of COVID or just generally speaking, the space itself. Yeah, no, look, I, I think irrespective of COVID is how I answer it because I, you know, as I said, I think the factors that were driving M&A before COVID are still here and, and per perhaps more pronounced than they were before COVID because, and those factors, the, the primary factor is just the, the sheer amount of capital out there looking, for, looking to be deployed. Um, and you know, limited number of places, i.e., privately owned businesses that are for sale. And so, if COVID's done anything, I think it's just sort of it's it sort of short it shrunk in the supply of potential you know 
private businesses to invest in and and food and beverage as it always has been and will continue to be is always kind of viewed favorably as you know generally speaking sort of recession proof you know now probably pandemic proof for the most part as well so um i think you know as a long way of saying i don't see anything that's going to change that i think you're going to continue to see strong sort of food and beverage m a volumes um for the foreseeable future as far as i can tell you know now you talk I, what what's going to happen in the you know the stock market and so on i have no idea <laughs> that all seems crazy to me but just the, the sort of fundamentals that I think are driving private food and beverage m and I don't see that, any of that changing and, because and, of COVID or yeah. anytime soon. Yeah. And do you yeah. see, Paul, do you see it uh, like distribution? Is it like primary production, distribution, ag? Is there anything you would say, this is one I'm noticing people are keenly interested in and we'll see more. I mean, some ag tech or food tech or there's so many dimensions to food. Yeah. I know. It's well, a... like, yeah, look, yeah, I, I think you'll see, sorry, Marta, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but like, I, I think what you'll see is all the sort of traditional segments of sort of food processing, you know, particularly those who are using retail, I, you know, I think are going to continue to see a lot of, get a lot of interest. I think, you know, um, you know any kind of specialty food retail, Anything that's sort of got a unique angle there is now increasingly attractive um, as consumers are, you know, probably as COVID has probably accelerated the consumer shift to, you know, an omni-channel shopping experience. I think food and beverage is always going to require a, you know, brick and mortar element to their distribution model or retail model. And then the last thing I'd say is like, you know, and this isn't just a food and beverage issue, but it's, but it's certainly plays into food and beverage is ESG, right? Like it's, consumers are increasingly caring, you know, increasingly care about, you know, broader impact of supply chain. And, and so it used to just be like, people want healthy food. Now it's I want food that's healthy for me, but also good for the planet. And, and that's gone beyond just sort of like being a small part of, you know, uh, the market, it's becoming the mainstream. Um, and you know, I think you're going to see more of that. So you know, and you've actually seen some recently some funds, food and beverage focused, you know, private equity funds that have been raised with a particular focus on that segment. So, you know, to me, that's early signs that more and more capital is going to be flowing toward that because that's where consumer behavior and, and, and preferences are moving. So, Paul, I want to thank you. Uh, this has been incredibly insightful. And I want you to know there's some days that I, I wish I had your job because I love the food and beverage space. It's a traditional space that I've enjoyed. So th thank you for, for joining us today. Thank you for the insight. Uh, it's been uh, incredibly interesting and really appreciate it. Thanks, Mario. Appreciate it.